Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast but don't know how or think it'll be too expensive? With the coronavirus ravaging the world right now, I know firsthand that money is super tight. But guess what? Anchor is a free app that lets you create your very own podcast. And the best part? Anchor doesn't charge you to make your podcast. I started my podcast, Secrets in the Desert, a little over a year ago on Anchor, and it is so easy. There are creation tools that allow you to record, edit, and publish your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, and my podcast is currently streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, just to name a few. And of course, on the Anchor app and Anchor.fm. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, so the more listeners you get, the more money you make. It's everything you need to make a great podcast all in one place. So if you want to make a great podcast very easily, download the free Anchor app in your app store or go to Anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started on your free podcast today. And yes, it's that easy. Hey guys and fellow true crime lovers and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 11 of Secrets in the Desert. I'm your host Titi Jimenez. At the start of every episode I like to give a little update about what is going on in the world around us you know like what's in the news what's big right now so I just wanted to first and foremost send my heartfelt condolences to Alex Trebek's family and friends who are grieving the loss of the famous Jeopardy host. If you are not aware, Alex Trebek was the host of the very famous long-running game show Jeopardy. He passed away on November 8th, 2020 after battling pancreatic cancer. I lost my biological father to pancreatic cancer on July 3rd, 2015, so please listeners, send your condolences, your prayers, your good vibes, or whatever you believe in to his family and friends. Rest in heaven, Alex Trebek. We lost another good man this year. I'm so glad 2020 is almost over. I pray that 2021 will be a better year for not only us here in the United States, but the whole world. Also, as all of my United States listeners know, we had our election back on November 3rd, 2020. And as of now, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the president and vice president-elect to begin in office in January of 2021. As you also know, President Trump is trying to fight in the public and in the court because he is claiming there was voter fraud. President Trump and his team have brought forward so many lawsuits because of this belief that there was mass voter fraud throughout the whole United States. But he is losing these lawsuits and losing more and more support because he refuses to concede the presidency. Hopefully he and his team realize and accept the fact that he lost so that the presidential transition can begin. And no, I'm not hating on or bashing President Trump. I just wanted to give my listeners an update about the election results here in the United States because like I said previously, 
this election was literally we had to vote for our lives so as of right now yes Kamala Harris for vice president and Joe Biden for president are the president and vice president elect so let's just hope that Trump concedes the presidency so that the transition could begin so that when it is time for Biden and Harris to take office that they can who is battling coronavirus or has lost their jobs or anything like that due to corona hopefully jump on something quicker do something quicker for everybody virus so hopefully help is on the horizon also the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 aka the Rona as I like to call it is at an all-time high throughout the whole world around the world there are 60,715,719 positive cases of COVID with 1,426,734 deaths reported the United States alone as of the recording of this episode November 25th 2020 the United States has 13,137,962 cases overall and 286,219 deaths reported. 178,200 new cases were reported today and the U.S. has a total death toll of 257,701 altogether with 823 new deaths reported as of today, again, November 25th, 2020. Globally, the United States is ranked ninth overall in coronavirus deaths and destruction and 11th for the total amount of deaths. This information was found on the Center for Disease Control CDC website at www.cdc.gov. I know Thanksgiving is on Thursday the 26th, so please, if you are having a get-together, make sure you wear your masks and practice safe social distancing so that the coronavirus slows the spread. If you do not want to do it for yourself, at least do it for your family members and friends who could potentially catch it and maybe even die because of it. Also, do it for the people in your communities who are especially more at risk of death if they do catch it. Come on, guys. Wearing a mask is not that big of a deal. Everybody has to deal with it on a daily basis now. You guys should be used to it right now. If we were all wearing masks and doing what we were supposed to do from the beginning, we wouldn't be in another lockdown and still going into a deeper recession in the economy. But anyways, I just really hope that everybody does take the coronavirus seriously because it is real and it is serious. And I've had several family members that have caught in coronavirus but yet they recovered from it but also on august 5th of 2020 my grandmother died of covid19 so i do know it's real and i just beg all of my listeners to please 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 wear your masks practice safe social distancing other than that i want to wish all of my listeners who do celebrate the holidays a very happy thanksgiving i am grateful for my husband children and still being able to to provide for my family through this pandemic because i know a lot of people have lost jobs homes have lost their cars homeless who don't who sometimes can't even eat because of the pandemic so i'm still able to provide for my family i really really hope that anyone who is facing any of these challenges i hope and i pray and i send my good vibes that you guys soon too will be able to get back on your feet other than that enjoy your thanksgiving meal and time with your family and friends now with all of that out of the way let's get into today's case 
On today's episode, episode 11 of Secrets in the Desert, I will be covering the case of the beautiful Katie Sepich. Katie Sepich disappeared from Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is my hometown, on August 31st, 2003, after attending a party down the street from her house. Her body was found day near a Las Cruces landfill after her roommate Tracy Waters reported her missing after she did not return home and it took investigators three years to finally bring her killer to justice. As always this podcast details certain materials that may not be suitable for children including rape, murder, torture, and children's murders so as always listener discretion is advised. Now let's get into the case of the night Katie disappeared. Catherine J. Sepich, also known as Katie Sepich to her friends and family, was born on December 26, 1981 to Dave and Jan Sepich. Katie had one brother, A.J. Sepich, and one sister. Born in Carlsbad, New Mexico, Katie moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico around 1998 to go to college at New Mexico State University or NMSU. Katie was living off of Roadrunner Parkway in Las Cruces with her roommate, Tracy Waters. She worked at a local popular Mexican restaurant, El Sombrero Patio Cafe, which is super, super delicious, by the way, especially Carolyn Sepich. She was the oldest of the three siblings because it's very authentic. Katie, anyways, back on topic, also had a boyfriend at the time of the murder, named Joe Bischoff and the whole reason she left the party she was at the night she was murdered was because she got her boyfriend Joe Bischoff cheating on her. Homegrown Mexican food like she walked in on them and saw what was going on with her own eyes like that's the worst thing that could happen to you like you walk in and you literally see with your own eyes that your boyfriend that you love and you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with is cheating on you I mean I know that would crush my heart and if I were in the same situation as Katie was that night I would have gotten up and left too and walked away from the party and not even have thought twice about it because nobody knew that there's really danger out there like that but obviously I do now so I'm always cautious about anywhere that I go and I urge all my listeners to always be cautious of your surroundings everywhere you guys go as well because it could it could save yours or one of your family members lives that's why Katie left the party on foot to walk home that night not realizing she didn't have her purse or her keys to get inside her home Katie made it all the way home but literally disappeared from right outside her own home how scary is that your home is supposed to be your safe place the place where you feel you can't be harmed and Katie was literally snatched from her own yard I actually live here in Las Cruces and it's pretty fucking scary to know that you can literally be kidnapped from your own yard here I actually have an uncle who worked with and was friends with Katie back during this time. My uncle was heartbroken to say the least that one of his good friends was murdered and her murder remained unsolved for over three years. To those who knew Katie Sepich, they remember her as a loving daughter, sister, and best friend. Dave Sepich, Katie's father, remembered her as, quote, a ball of fire. She was quite something. She was going 90 miles per hour her whole life, end quote. And I got that quote off of the Dateline episode about Katie Sepich's case called The Woman Who Couldn't Scream. So if you want a more in-depth dive into the case of Katie Sepich, I would recommend you guys going to watch it because it's a really, really good episode and it dives much, much deeper into her murder. 
Her sister Caroline Sepich said her whole life was an adventure. She was really sweet and outgoing, but also a little bossy. She liked to plan things and make her adventures go her way. She would say, this is what we're doing, let's go. AJ Sepich, Katie's younger brother, remembers Katie saying, quote, Katie was a lot to handle, but also a lot to have behind you and on your side. She was always my protector, but also my best friend, end quote. AJ really looked up to Katie, so it's understandable why her murder affected not only him, but their whole family and friends. Katie's closest friend, Amy Barnhart, remembers Katie as a shining light and someone people noticed. She said, quote, I feel that you don't always see somebody who was as beautiful as her, but also self-deprecating. She was willing to laugh at herself and make fun of herself and be the butt of the joke and still do it with grace and crack everybody up. Katie Sepich was last seen alive leaving a party on foot after catching her boyfriend Joe Bischoff cheating on her at the party. They got into an argument about it and around 3 a.m. Katie left the party to walk home alone on August 31st, 2003, which happened to be the start of Labor Day. She had apparently forgotten her keys and was trying to get into her house through her bedroom window when she was abducted. The next day after Katie's roommate Tracy Waters couldn't find her, she called the Las Cruces Police Department and reported Katie missing. Katie's body was found later that day near a Las Cruces landfill. She had been strangled, sexually assaulted. Evidence found at Katie's home showed that Katie did indeed make it home because her shoes were found outside her bedroom window where there appeared to be a struggle of some sort and her body was partially burned. Katie's boyfriend, Joe Bischoff, was of course suspect number one, especially after investigators found out about their fight. Joe was taken in to be questioned and he did admit to the fight between him and Katie but denied having anything to do with her murder. For over three years, Katie's case remained unsolved until DNA evidence from a convicted felon was found as a partial match DNA found on Katie's body in 2006. Joe Bischoff was finally cleared based on the DNA evidence. What gets to me about this is that Joe Bischoff wasn't even allowed at Katie's funeral because her family thought he was the one that killed her and obviously it wasn't him. Like, that breaks my heart. If I were to find myself in that situation, despite an intense investigation, no suspects were identified back in 2003. Katie Sebich's case has been featured on shows like Mari, Haunting Evidence, Dead of Night, and Dateline. I also haven't found any other true crime podcasts that have covered Katie's story, so I guess I'm the first to cover it on a podcast. From the beginning, investigators and Katie's family believed that her boyfriend, Joe Bischoff, was the one who killed her. DNA evidence found on Katie's body and under her fingernails cleared him. So for over three years, investigators had no other leads or suspects. DNA evidence was, there was finally a DNA match hit. No, the DNA didn't be entered into CODIS and in December of 2006, belonged to Joe Bischoff, Katie's boyfriend, or anyone else she knew. The DNA profile matched a man named Gabriel Avila. Gabriel Avila, 27 at the time of Katie's murder, was a Las Cruces native. He had to submit a DNA sample in 2006 after being sent to prison for convictions of burglary, fraudulent refusal to return leased property, and resisting arrest. It was the early morning hours of August 31st, 2003, a Saturday. 
22-year-old Katie Setbitch was at a party celebrating the Labor Day weekend. She was due at her parents' house in Carlsbad, New Mexico the next day for another Labor Day party. Katie never showed up. Katie was incredibly close to her family and spent a lot of time with her parents and two siblings. Katie had a natural ability to make people warm to her instantly. She was likable and lovable, but she had a strong opinions about certain things. She liked to make plans. Her plan that weekend was to spend time with family and friends and have fun. Katie was a graduate student at New Mexico State University, or NMSU as we call it here. She had just been accepted into the MBA program for business management at NMSU. Katie told her mother, Jayanne, that she didn't know what she wanted to do after college, but that she knew she wanted to change the world. And that's exactly what Katie did, even though the change didn't happen until after Katie was murdered. Katie lived with her friend Tracy Waters. That night, August 30th, 2003, Katie went five blocks away from her own house to a party. There was about 30 people at the party that night. Katie was there with Tracy, some other friends, and her boyfriend Joe Bischoff. Tracy and nearly everyone at the party, including her boyfriend Joe, slept at the house where the party was held. When Tracy woke up, she couldn't find Katie. She called her several times, but there was no answer. Tracy looked for Katie at their house, but couldn't find her. Joe Bischoff, Katie's boyfriend, said he last saw Katie around 3 a.m. on August 31, 2003. He claimed Katie left to go home, but he didn't know why. She left without her phone, keys, and purse. Tracy called all of her friends, but nobody knew where Katie was. She even contacted some of the local hospitals, but Katie was not at any of them. That's when Tracy called Katie Sepich's parents, Dave and Jayanne Sepich, back in Carlsbad, New Mexico, and asked, Have you talked to Katie today? Those six words were the beginning of a horrible nightmare for Katie's family and friends. Since Katie's family or any other friends hadn't talked to her that day, Katie was reported missing to the Las Cruces Police Department. Just a few hours later, Katie's family received the devastating news that the body of their oldest child was found south of the old Las Cruces landfill in the desert area. Target shooters found Katie's partially clothed body. She was naked from the waist down, was lying face down with her legs spread apart, and one leg of her jeans were tucked between her legs. There was bruising around her neck, and there were scratches on her legs and arms. Katie had been brutally raped, sodomized, strangled, and set on fire. There were a number of burn marks on her back and arm. The autopsy determined that Katie's cause of death was strangulation. She obviously had been sexually assaulted, and the burn marks on her body were the result of a flammable liquid thrown on her body. The perpetrator then tried to set her on fire, but the fire burned itself out. Investigators did not believe she was murdered where her body was found. There was no evidence of a struggle there. Investigators searched Katie's house and discovered that her bedroom window was locked, but the screen had been removed. They found her shoes right there by her bedroom window, so investigators know she did make it home that night or early morning, just outside of her bedroom window. There were signs that a struggle took place. Katie had fought for her life. There was DNA evidence found under her fingernails and on her body around her anus and vaginal areas. The DNA profile was extracted and uploaded into CODIS. Investigators believed Katie tried to gain access into her home through her bedroom window and she had left her phone, purse, and keys by the party. They believe she was grabbed from behind and raped and strangled right outside of her own bedroom window. 
Investigators spoke to everyone who attended the party the night before, and that's when they learned that Katie caught her boyfriend, Joe Bischoff, kissing another woman at the party. As a result of this, the two got into a huge fight, and that's why Katie left to go home. Can you imagine finding your boyfriend cheating on you? You leave to five blocks down to your house to get away from the whole situation. Realize you forgot your all your stuff at the party, so you had no keys to get into your own home. So you try to open your bedroom window to get in only to find that it's locked. And all of a sudden you're attacked from behind. You fight for your life just to be raped and strangled to death. That's so fucking scary. Especially because I live not too far from where this happened. I didn't hear anything. And guess why she couldn't hear anything. That's because Katie was born with mother was there at their home because she was visiting for the holiday weekend. And get this, Katie's roommate, Tracy Water, he did not tell investigators about him cheating on Katie that night and that's why they fought and she left without being able to scream. Yes, you heard that right. Katie did not have the ability to scream. I bet my own life that Tracy's mother feels a lot of guilt because she was right there asleep feet away but didn't hear anything. How sad and scary is that? Like that's, ugh, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. When Joe Bischoff was first interviewed, because of this investigation, they felt Joe was hiding something, but Joe told investigators that he never saw Katie again after she left the party around 3 a.m. He also told investigators that he did go after Katie when she left and drove by her house, but he claims he didn't see her and he didn't get out of his car to check to see if she had made it home or not. Sounds fishy, right? Yeah, for me too. Joe claimed he called Katie the next day multiple times before he realized that he himself had her phone, so he knew she wouldn't answer it. If that's not a red flag, then I don't know what the fuck is. Like me, investigators thought Joe's answers were very suspicious, so they asked him for a DNA sample, and guess what? Joe Bischoff, Katie's supposed loving boyfriend, refused to give a DNA sample. After talking to his parents and lawyer, Joe did eventually provide a DNA sample, and no, it didn't match the DNA found on Katie's body or under her fingernails. That's when the case went cold, and it stayed that way until December of 2006, so a little over three years. Over the three years that Katie's case was cold, a 27-year-old man named Gabriel Avila was arrested and convicted for burglary, resisting arrest, and fraudulent refusal to return leased property and was sentenced to nine years in prison. Because of his convictions for these crimes and him going to prison, Gabriel Avila had to give a DNA sample which was uploaded into CODIS and that immediately turned up to the partial match that was found on Katie's body and under her fingernails. After getting these results, investigators went and questioned, it's just so crazy to me, questioned Gabriel Avila's wife. She told them that after Katie's murder, she found a diamond ring in her husband's truck. The ring ended up being Katie's ring. So, um, there you go. Another red flag. He had her diamond ring in his possession that his own wife found. How fucking crazy, like, Oh my god. Now she knows she was married to not only a criminal, because remember he was already serving nine years for unrelated crimes, but also a disgusting rapist and murderer. Ugh, 
I would die if I found out that my husband had a double life and was capable of raping and murdering another woman. Investigators finally went and spoke to Gabriel Avila and they knew right where to find him. In prison because he was serving nine years for aggravated burglary. They find out that Avila had broken into the home of two female students here in Las Cruces. The students heard the commotion so they woke up, saw him, locked themselves into a room and called the police. Since Gabriel Avila was still at the scene, he was arrested on the spot. When questioned about Katie's murder, he denied any involvement, even claiming he didn't even know who Katie was. When investigators showed Gabriel Avila Katie's ring that was found in his truck and the DNA evidence, he broke down and confessed to killing Katie. Finally, after three years of not knowing, the Sepich family finally found out what really happened to their beloved oldest child, Katie Sepich. In December of 2006, Gabriel Avila confessed to the rape, according to him, murder and mutilation of Katie Sepich in the early morning hours of August 31st, 2003. He saw Katie when she was walking home. Now we know she was walking home from a party five blocks away from her own home after catching her boyfriend Joe Bischoff cheating on her. Avila claimed he was out driving around in his truck that night looking to buy cocaine. He claims that he almost hit Katie with his truck and so he got out of the truck to see if she was okay. She told him she was fine and that she just lived a few blocks away. So Avila got back into his truck and drove a little ways away and pulled over again to urinate on the side of the road. Ew. That's disgusting. He said he then saw Katie again, so he decided to follow her. Gabriel said he saw Katie at her bedroom window trying to get into her home. He once again got out of his truck and asked her if she needed help. Katie then proceeded to tell him that she forgot her keys at the party. Gabriel Avila then claimed that he just lost it and grabbed Katie from behind and took her down to the ground and raped her both vaginally and anally. Gabriel Avila then strangled Katie, then pulled down Katie's pants and panties, Katie to death, with his own hands until she stopped moving. He claimed he strangled her because she would be able to identify him if she he were to have let her go. Avila then picked up Katie's lifeless body into his truck and drove to the landfill where her body was later found and tried to set her body on fire using a bottle of alcohol that he had in his truck. It was a completely random attack. Gabriel Avila and Katie Sepich had never met before that fateful night. During the Dateline episode that I was talking about earlier, uh, Detective Danny Myers, who was the lead investigator for Katie's case said quote chances of Gabriel Avila seeing Katie Sepich that night were slim to none if she would have left 30 seconds earlier or even later he would have never seen her and she'd still be alive today on May 3rd, 2007, Gabriel Avila pleaded guilty to multiple felonies. Le less than three months after Avila murdered Katie, he committed that aggravated burglary on the other two female students. And if his DNA would have been taken, including capital murder and rape, and was given a 69-year prison sentence at... The time of the arrest for that crime, Katie's murderer would have been discovered way sooner than what it was. Dave and Jayanne Sepich pushed hard for what has become known as Katie's Law. But at least her murder was solved and it wasn't in vain. When Katie was murdered, the DNA that was found under her fingernails and on was illegal to take DNA when someone is arrested. Her body was uploaded into the National Forensics Database, CODIS, and her parents were told that once a week, DNA evidence from their daughter would 
be cross-referenced against the offender database to look for a match. Of course, this gave Katie's family some hope that Katie's killer would be caught as they wanted justice for their daughter. They were also scared that to be able to find her killer, someone else would have to be her in the same matter by their daughter's killer. The Sepages discovered, though, that in New Mexico and in pretty much every other state, DNA was only entered into CODIS if they were convicted of a crime and sent to prison. So to that, they wanted Katie's Law, which would require anyone arrested on a violent crime to submit a DNA sample. The Sepages were aware that while Katie's Law wouldn't have saved Katie, there were cases that involved people who, who could have been saved. Some of the cases involved men who killed several different women and if their DNA had been taken earlier, some of the women would have been alive. Katie's parents, Dave and Jayanne Sepich, testified in front of different states so that Katie's law would be signed into law in different states. Jayanne Sepich gave a powerful statement describing how their lives changed forever. She said, quote, Our Katie was dead. No words to describe the agony. No way to express the pain. We fell into a deep black pit with no way out. There was no tomorrow. All joy was gone. Katie's father had to go to the morgue to identify his beloved daughter. He later told me that when he they pulled back the sheet and he saw her beautiful face bruised and contorted in pain, he fell to his knees and asked God to take him too. And I will never forget the heart, that hardest moment of my life, leaving my baby at the cemetery on that cloudless September afternoon, knowing that on this earth... I would never again see her smile or hear her musical laughter. We had lost our beloved daughter to a monster and we needed justice. Oh my gosh, how horribly sad. I can't, I don't know how I would feel losing one of my daughters. I know how heartbroken I was when my sister and her two kids were murdered. So I would imagine losing your child would be like a million times worse. I'm honestly not even too sure if I'd even be able to make through. I think I'd die honestly of a broken heart. Anyways, Katie's law was passed and went into effect in New Mexico in 2006, and Katie's law, or a version of Katie's law, went into effect in 31 states in 2010. Katie's law, also known as the Katie Sepich Enhanced DNA Collection Act of 2010, is a federal law that provides funding to states to implement minimum and enhanced DNA collection processes for felony arrests. States that use Katie's law are, of course, New Mexico, but also Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Florida, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, and Vermont. Wow, you guys, this case, the murder of Katie Sepich, was a really tough one to get through. Doing my research, I see how much hurt and anguish that her family feels after losing their beloved daughter, Katie, as I know every other family who has a murdered family member feels this exact same way. I'm right there with you guys, believe me. I still have my good days. I still have my bad days. I still get angry. I still cry. I still find myself having a hard time getting out of bed some days. The Sepiches are very strong and they loved, actually they still love their daughter Katie very much. I hope if I were to ever find myself in their situation, I could be as brave and as graceful as they are. 
I'm happy Katie's killer, Gabriel Avila, was given 69 years in prison after he confessed. Let's just hope he serves all of his time. In 2008, Jayan Sepech started a DNA Saves, which is a nonprofit that aims to educate lawmakers and the public about the power of DNA testing. In 2011, Katie's law was expanded to include all felony arrests. Earlier in this episode, I said Katie once told her mother, Jayanne, that she, even though Katie never got the chance to change the world while she was alive, in death, Catherine J. Sepich did change the world with the passage of Katie's law. To close this episode out, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Katie's mother, Jayanne, who wanted to change the world. There is no such thing as closure. We're ready to move on. We've been healing. We've been going forward with our lives. We have two other incredible children we love so much, but this will allow us to heal in a way, and we couldn't have it otherwise. All right, guys. That is it for episode 11 of Secrets in the Desert, The Night Katie Disappeared. I'm your host, Titi Jimenez, signing off until next time. Peace out, guys.